Let's pray and ask God's blessing this time. Dear Father, what is this that I'm attempting to do but stand up in front of these people and tell them what you say? And yet I am not worthy of that. I have no ability to really expound your word. I am void of any righteousness and goodness in myself. And yet we are sitting here expecting to hear from you. And I just pray that your mercy and grace would be applied to this time and that Jesus Christ would be honored. That his word, in spite of the limitations of the speaker, would go forth with clarity. Pray that Jesus Christ would have free reign in my heart and in our hearts. And I ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen. Beginning in verse 9, 2 Timothy 4, Paul is writing Timothy and he's drawing these things, this message to a conclusion, so to speak. And he says, to make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troad, the carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the carpersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposes our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Rastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick at Miletus. Make every effort to come to me to come before winter. Eubulus greets you also, Prudence and Linus and Claudia, all and all the brethren. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Well, what I'm doing, I know that this is perhaps not a big doctrinal treatise, but I'm looking at these people. And I want to go through each one just very briefly, just to get an idea of the fact that what these people are like and how they impacted the life of Paul and the ministry of Paul. Because I think it's important, we, we associate with people all the time. All of us, uh, that's what the church is. It's a group of people. That's what the ministry is involved in, is trying to reach people. And I think it's important that we, just to take some time, um, because that's where the heart of the Lord is, to reach people to, to uh, touch their lives. And so that's what we are doing. And what I've done in this passage, and I don't know that it's a good way, but I've just kind of grouped all these people into several categories. Uh, so it's kind of easy to work our way through. So I'm going to be jumping through the text to uh, kind of follow up on the categories. And the first category are those associates with Paul that we would classify as being faithful. And because uh, there are a number of them that were faithful to Paul in one way or another, one aspect or another. And so we're going to be looking at that. 
But then following that, we're going to be looking at those associates that you might classify as being unfaithful to him. Then there is a category of those that, uh, for one reason or another, maybe had kind of walked away, but they had been restored. Uh, then there's a category of those that we might classify as enemies of the gospel. There is a category there relating to the sovereignty of the Lord, because he has mentioned in that, and I want to talk about him a little bit. And then there are associates, there's a category of those that are associates or friends of Paul uh, from his past uh, association. And so we're just looking, kind of doing that. Right now we're in the middle of the category of those that are faithful. And the first one we looked at was Timothy. And uh, I'm not going to spend time with him because we know him. Timothy is that that one that uh, Paul mentored. He was called his son, was the beloved son, one that he worked with, one he had discipled. Timothy is the one that has a heart that is parallel or similar to that of Paul. He's learned a lot from Paul. Paul has worked with him when they were ready to depart. He says that there were tears that were flowing and it was a difficult thing. There was a close bond between Paul and Timothy. Now Paul is in prison. He's chained. He's suffering exposure, maybe hunger, and uh, he's writing Timothy and he's in saying, telling him he wants to see him uh, and he's concerned for the church. And so he's entrusting, taking this responsibility that he's poured his life out to this church and he's putting this responsibility laying it before Timothy. Timothy has been working with the church for some time and he's just kind of getting Timothy ready and trying to give him that responsibility and turn it over to him. And so that's what he's doing in this letter. Now we looked at Timothy, so I'm not going to get back into it. He closes up by just telling Timothy to make every effort to come to me as soon as you can. Secondly is this person by the name of Crescens. Uh, and all it says in the middle of verse 9 is, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Crescens, unlike Demas, who is called a deserter, is listed here, and he's listed uh, in kind of a, a parallel statement with Titus. He says, uh, Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, so that they, both of them are, we're certain of Titus as being a strong instrument, uh, instrument in Paul's, uh, under Paul's direction, and I, I think we're safe to say that with Christians as well, that he was a faithful, but uh, an unsung servant of the Lord, one that was not known. That's the only that's where he's mentioned here in this text. Um, this is the only reference, and uh, he has gone to Galatia. Let me talk to you just a little bit about Galatia. The, the book of Galatians um, is the only New Testament epistle of Paul that is written not to a church, but to a series of a group of churches. Galatia is a region. If you get your Bible, atlas out of the back of your Bible and look at the Galatian region, it's actually kind of north, and the churches that Paul visited, Lyconia and Phygia, Lystra, Derby, all those churches are kind of in the southern part of Galatia, so it creates a little bit of a confusion. History has a way of changing things sometimes uh, in so far as location, uh, and um, the way that we relate uh, when we're talking about certain things. And sometimes you can talk about one area, and then you come back a little bit later, and that history may have changed things a little bit, maybe a little bit different. 
but the in the strictest sense of the word um in the ethnic sense galatia is an area that was settled by celtic people in the third century they migrated to that region from gaul which is called modern france and um it's kind of north of this but eventually rome came in and they conquered that region and it became a roman province and uh, they incorporated a lot of area that was not actually inhabited by those people, the Gauls, and uh, areas like Lyconia and Vigia and Pisidia. And so Galatia came to be referred to insofar as an entire Roman province, which included the southern section as well. And then Paul writes that, that epistle to the Galatians, which he's writing to those churches he went to on the first missionary journey. It's actually the southern part of Galatia, which is included in Galatia, even though originally Galatia was just the northern part. It's now included in the southern part as well. So the region um, had, by this time, some strong churches that Paul had worked with. And he was concerned for them. He had traveled in all three missionary journeys, his first three, three journeys. He went through that area. He visited the churches. He appointed elders in that church. The churches were basically Gentile, brand new believers. Uh, no maturity in the churches at all, which is why the spiritual gifts were given to the early church. Actually, it's because you have uh, churches like this that were comprised of Gentiles. And when you appoint spiritual leaders, you want spiritual leaders to have maturity. And if they're all brand new babies, nobody has maturity. But the Lord in the early church had these powerful spiritual gifts to enable people with certain areas of giftedness to be able to function so the church could grow and become strong, making disciples that then would grow and be able to fill these shoes and function as a church. And so uh, Paul worked with those churches. That's the area that he's talking about here, uh, the region of Galatia. And um, the, the writing of the, the uh, Paul's first missionary journey was in Acts 13. In Acts 13 and 14, the, the, uh, he goes, you read through the journeys that he went through in the first missionary journey. When you get to Acts 15, he's back in Antioch, and there are some problems of some Judaizers coming into the church at Antioch that create uh, a turmoil about the gospel, and that they're saying that the Gentile believers, in order to be saved, need to be circumcised and keep some of the basic rules of the law. Come the basic uh, mosaic laws in order to be saved, and that created a problem. And what they did was, this is the early church. It, it sounds quite, kind of funny to us because we would immediately we would say, "Well, that you don't do that." But in the early church, we, these the Jew, Judaizers were Jewish people with that background. It was really important to keep the law. But all these Gentiles who had never experienced that, they're coming in with these. Uh, some of these Judaizers that were mature, uh, they had given uh, had a relationship with the Lord and they'd come in and they had a lot of knowledge of the scriptures and they were carrying a lot of weight. And so it created an animosity with the Gentiles because they hadn't been circumcised. They hadn't kept a lot of these laws and things. And so the church, Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas really hit that kind of thing on the head and they, they said that that's wrong. And so they began to Discuss that, and they sent a delegation up to Jerusalem where the big cheeses, the apostles, resided. 
And they brought that thing before the church in Jerusalem. And they had what is called the First Jerusalem Council. That You can read about that in Acts 15. And that, that church council, this is one of the most important councils the church has had. Because they, they really prayed about and went over this issue. And they came to an official decision for the church. It makes it sound kind of high church. But it is an official position for the evangelical church that you do not have to keep the Mosaic law, you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to do these things in order to be saved, that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's a good thing. And it was officially decided, and uh, so that Jerusalem Council took place, but in the meantime, a lot of churches, after the first missionary journey in the Galatian area, uh, were struggling with that very same thing, and there were some problems, so Paul sat down then and wrote the letter to Galatians chapter 2, he talks about the Jerusalem Council, the trip to, to um, Jerusalem about this. But this area that Paul worked with and these churches that he was concerned with, uh, near the end of uh, the time, that region, evidently, uh, he, when he went, was going to the, being in prison, he sent Creason or got to ask Creason to go to that area and to kind of oversee those churches and to work with them trying to keep them stable and to make them aware of the, the importance of the gospel. And so here is, here is now Paul saying that Christians have gone through Galatia, to that region to work with the churches. We can read about uh, in Galatians 1.1, just in passing three verses that talk about the churches in Galatia. It says in Galatians 1.1, which is the, the I'm sorry, Galatians 1.2, which is the second verse in the book of Galatians. Paul writes to all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So that Galatia is written to a series of churches. Second, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia. And then if you remember when we were in 1 Peter, and we were talking, Peter wrote to these saints that were suffering, that were scattered. And you remember where they were scattered to? They were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. They were believers that were scattered throughout this area. What are you trying to say, Peter? I'm just trying to say that Galatia was a region of a number of churches and that there's a, there was a lot of responsibility. He had go, gone to Galatia uh, for ministry. He was not deserting as Demas had done. and He was interested in working with the churches. And so I think maybe what we can say about this man, Christians, who is not is only mentioned here, um, is that he was faithful and he was dependable and he was available, which is a good thing. Um, not everybody that's necessarily faithful, uh, faithful is necessarily available. A lot of things, like my job is loaded a lot of times, that keeps me away from a lot of things that I would like to do that I can't do, including working with the CEF and stuff like that. And so, but this guy was faithful and he was dependable, and he was available. And so uh, he has gone to that area. And uh, it's encouraging to see the people that God uses. He's not looking for popularity, even though it's fun to be popular. He's not looking for somebody with high social status or wealth or fame. He uses people that are wealthy. He uses people who have education and talent and personality. But he's not looking. That's not the primary thing. He wants people that are faithful. And he can take um, unfaithful people that 
and work with them and turn them around and make them into godly people, make them into saints, make them into warriors, make them into soldiers. Uh, he's, he's looking to do that. He, he, he's a master at doing that. That's an encouragement to me because um, in my childhood, I was not faithful. I was, I, I was always just doing, and I say childhood, my adult had the same, sometimes just think, living for self. We were talking earlier about getting to be a certain age that you're not useful anymore in the back, but anyway. But God is able to take things that we would say should be put on the shelf, but he's able to keep using us in his kingdom and for his glory. Greasons is one of those individuals who was faithful and was serving the Lord without having to have his name on the marquee out front. It was just, he's only appearing one time. The second person in this list um, is a guy by the name of Titus, and he was not only faithful, he was pretty well, pretty well known. Uh, he's mentioned um, throughout several times in scripture. Um, there's an epistle that bears his name that he wrote, um, and Paul calls him my partner, my fellow worker in 2 Corinthians 8. Um, he stayed he stayed in Crete, which was that little island there in the middle of the Mediterranean. He put him there so that he could set in order things that remain uh, and appoint elders in every city. That's a pretty important responsibility that he would entrust to somebody to go to an area, of, uh, a new area like Crete was, and appoint elders in every city. Which and that also says something about the spread of the gospel, doesn't it? If you're in that little island, you have several cities, and you're you're appointing elders, means you're your, the church is growing, the people are growing, and there is that uh, multiplication that's taking place, and you want to appoint leaders. And Titus was the guy that was uh, kind of given that responsibility. I think the fact that Paul entrusted Titus with that task of developing and appointing elders uh, in newly formed churches is significant, and to use Larry's phrase, speaks volumes about Paul's confidence in Titus. Because you wouldn't trust that so just anybody. Um, after Paul's first imprisonment, he went to Macedonia, um, and then from there to Dalmatia, and we went from there to Nicopolis, where according to Titus 3.12, he met Titus, and uh, it was there that um, Paul kind of commissioned him, I think. He suggested here, Titus, he said, John MacArthur suggested it was from that point that Titus was commissioned to go to Dalmatia to minister. And so uh, this was shortly before his imprisonment. That's all we know. We don't know a whole lot other than that he is a person of uh, status in the church, person that is recognized, unlike Christians. And uh, to me, it's interesting because sometimes people, when they reach a certain status or fame or well-known, they become too big for the normal job so they become too important in their own estimation to minister in places that are out of the way um do you understand what i'm saying and yet titus was not that way uh, he went where paul needed him to go and and by the way throughout these this this letter you see paul appointing and doing this he was an apostle and he carried the same apostolic authority that peter and john and james the rest of them did and as an apostle of the Lord, he had that, that authority. There is God's church does function uh, according to uh, rules of, of uh, authority and propriety. And uh, so it's important that, um, that we work together 
uh, this is true today too. We have uh, churches and we have authority in the church. We're not dominant. We don't go around throwing our weight around like that. But there is authority in organizations and structure in the church, and it's important. And so here is this guy uh, that he is faithful, and uh, he does not require recognition and uh, the function. And so Titus is a well-known servant. And he's willing to serve uh, in what we might term as unimpressive um, places. That's two or three. Let's read one more. Uh, we have several more, but we probably won't have time to get them all in. But we'll look at one more faithful, and that's Luke, who is Paul's faithful companion. Um, he was a companion of Paul. Luke is mentioned only, this is interesting, He's so familiar in the scripture, but it's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. And um, yet the use of the plural uh, pronoun when he describes himself as we and I throughout the Gospel of Acts confirms his, his companionship with Paul and for his, his uh, caravan, if you will, or his, uh, yeah, his ministry team. And uh, he, he traveled with Paul easily hundreds, maybe thousands of miles throughout the book of Acts. He was, he was always there. He just was in the background. And, uh, but he was, a, he was a very faithful and brilliant uh, and good writer and a student, historian. Um, <laughs> he was with Paul at Troas in Philippi during the second missionary journey. He joined him again at the end of his third journey and went with Paul to Jerusalem uh, to face arrest and imprisonment. Later, he also accompanied Paul in his trip to Rome. And uh, he suffered. He was with Paul on the ship when they suffered the shipwreck at Malta. Went through that experience with him. Also, he ministered with Paul during his uh, first imprisonment. And then in our text, we see Luke uh, comforting Paul during his final imprisonment. During that time, the persecution of Nero, Nero, many, many Christians left Rome because the persecution was so severe and so harsh. It was just terrible. Nero just really did everything he can to wipe out Christians. He was very vile. Luke didn't do that. Luke went to Rome, went to the prison to be with Paul there in that, in that set of circumstances. Uh, and so that Paul wouldn't languish alone in the dungeon. And I think that says a lot for Luke and for his love for Paul and for his willingness to be there. Um, he was, we know that he is called a beloved physician. He, had a, he was a medical a doctor, profession, and we know that a medicine is a profession. We know that, that he could do that. There's not a, a lot of information about him practicing medicine. I'm sure he was there to help Paul and others if they needed it. But he was busy following Paul, being with him, and compiling two major books in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. And he, he gives clear reference to those that he has done his homework, he has contacted, and I'm sure he interviewed a number of people to get these things, to compile these things together so that he could write uh, both and he says that, he states that, says the reason to compile and pull together an accurate account. So here's this guy. He's a very intelligent man. Uh, he uh, does a lot of, he's a good writer. In fact, it's very likely that Luke 
was used by Paul as a secretary to write some of it. We don't know for sure, but we, we know he was a good writer. And it's likely that Paul did use these secretaries to help compile some of his writings. And so it's very possible since Luke was with him and was so faithful that he was there. And um, what's interesting also is that you don't find a lot of information about Luke working one-on-one -on -one discipling people, but there's a lot of information about Luke compiling and writing and doing research and pulling together records and documents for future generations. You see what I'm saying? And I, and I, I don't want to say that it, it says that Luke doesn't care for people. He does. And he's not interested. But it's interesting to me that God has different people in different places with different gifts to function in different ways. And all of them are serving the Lord. And all of them are important. And uh, Luke is one of those. And we are very indebted to Luke for his research, particularly in the book of Acts, both in Acts and, 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 and the gospel. Luke's gospel is a gospel that presents Jesus, um, I guess, most fully in his humanness. And we see his, the humanness of Jesus. And then that ministry carried over, as he said, he continues in the book of Acts to see how the church began and how it unfolded and how uh, it, the gospel spread from the Jews to the Gentiles. And God confirmed that with the signs and things like that. Um, and so Luke is, is, um, is, a, is a very important instrument in the hand of the Lord as well. And uh, he stands out in my, in my mind as one who is, he uses his gifts and his, his knows, he knows what area of his giftedness is, and he focuses on that area. Uh, it's easy. I do. I can easily be scattered from different things. You understand what I'm saying? And do a lot of things that I'm not gifted in. Luke knew, knew his, seemed to know his area, and he seemed to stay there. And when you think about these trips that he made with Paul, that is a strong commitment because it's easy, it's easy to go to the map and look at the four missionary journeys that Paul made and trace them with the finger, and you can do it in just a few seconds. But the trip itself and the actual planning and pulling together and getting out and going down the ship and going on board and doing all these things is a monumental task. And there were times when you didn't feel good. There were times when you're tired and there were times when there was danger and all kinds of things, shipwreck and, and hardship. And Luke endured a lot. He was very faithful in a lot to do a lot to, to, uh, to preserve the work and the ministry for future generations. So he's only, while he's only mentioned three times, he has such a prominent place. Uh, he's not seeking the headlines, but he's really seeking to serve the Lord. Um, he is willing to, un, un, to forego the comforts and the easy living which uh, a man of his status might otherwise have. Um, the fact that we have two major documents written by him not only shows education, but also his, his desire to, subvert, to preserve the truth. And so uh, it's just interesting to me how indebted Paul is and we are to other people, some who are not known, some who are known, some who uh, struggle with a lot of discomforts. And uh, you've heard it said we stand on the, the, the soldier, shoulders of some great men. We are indebted to a lot of people for a lot of strong commitment. You are indebted to parents, perhaps, or neighbors, or somebody else who shared the gospel with you. 
and so am I. I have a grandmother right now in heaven who prayed for me um, very faithfully every day of her life um, that I know of, and uh, I'm very, I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful to, her, to the Lord for her and her commitment. Over and over again, we will find things, references in the Old Testament that, uh, like the Lord will say, well, he didn't do, like one of the kings, he'll do something like that. He didn't wipe him out for the sake of David, his grandfather, who prayed for the Lord. The Lord made a commitment to David or Abraham, and so he's going to preserve something in honor of that. Um, God sees, sees us. People are important. And uh, what is your job? What is your ministry? What does the Lord have? How does he want to use you? He wants to use us all, and uh, every single one of us are vital, and every single one of us are important, and uh, we, he will use us if we are willing to be used, if we're available, if we're faithful, and uh, just so much, um, and even when we are not, and I can say that from experience, even when I'm not available, even when I am wanting to do my own thing, the Lord knows how to turn me around and get my attention and knock me down. Do you see what I'm saying? To bring me back. Uh, and I have needed that. He has saved me from myself. I can think back even before I knew the Lord, even when I was in school, and grammar school, and high school, and all kinds <coughs> of things. I, I was in school. I, was, I didn't uh, study as I should. I, was, I goofed off a lot. I was lazy. Uh, my family circumstances was my mother was trying to protect us from, from my father, who was uh, struggling with alcohol and uh, stuff. But it, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. It was just that I, I knew how to get out of doing things and I didn't apply myself. It wasn't until I met the Lord that he began to turn me around and change my focus in my life. He is merciful. He is gracious and he is in charge. And it's very important that we submit to him. Let him take us and turn us into one of these uh, not insignificant rebels, but a giant, not necessarily in the eyes of men, but the faithful before the Lord because they will use us for his kingdom and for his glory. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for these uh, people that we're looking at. It's always encouraging to me to see people whose uh, lives are not significant because that means that uh, maybe you can use me as well. And uh, I know that you care for us. I know that you're on the throne. I know that you take things that uh, would, not, would be insignificant. I'm thinking of the poem of the touch of the master's hand where uh, in an auction, a violin that's not worth much was auctioned out cheap until back of the room, a man stepped up who took the violin and the bow and was able to tune the strings and played a beautiful melody. And the price, instead of a dollar, was a thousand dollars for the violin. And the comment was made in the poem that the difference was made not in the violin, but in the touch of the master's hand. And that's true with us. It's not significant that we're here. It's not significant <laughs> that we have great talent, abilities, or popular, or whatever, it is significant that we belong to you. And so I pray if we're here today, if you're listening to our voice over the, the internet, and we have not made a commitment to you, that's where we begin. I pray that you would help us to turn to you, to flee to you, to trust you, and to find in you the real hope and purpose and direction for our lives and for the blessings for all eternity, not only to us, but to many others as well. We just commit ourselves to you this day. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.